Hello, this is Daniela Dos Santos Coresma from the OECD Sahel and West Africa Club Secretariat. We are happy to have with us today two authors of a recent book published by the Sahel and West Africa Club called The Geography of Conflict in North and West Africa. African governments are increasingly confronted with new forms of political violence by organized non-state actors. The situation is particularly worrying in the Sahara Sahel, where violent extremist organizations and secessionist rebels have recently thrived on the inability of states to fully control their own territories. This degrading security situation has prompted African countries and their partners to intervene militarily to stabilize the region and to prevent the spread of extremism and violence against civilians. However, these initiatives face many obstacles due to the transnational nature and geography of violence. Launched at the Munich Security Conference earlier this year, the report maps the evolution of violence across the region, with a focus on Mali and Central Sahel, Lake Chad and Libya. It asks two fundamental questions for the political stability of the region. First, which regions have experienced the highest levels of political insecurity? Second, do conflicts tend to cluster in one location or spread potentially across national borders? We are really pleased to welcome Olivier J. Walter and Stephen M. Rodil for a conversation on this topic. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Dr. Walter is an assistant professor in geography at the University of Florida and a consultant for SWAC OECD. His current research focuses on cross-border trade and transnational political violence in West Africa. He is the Africa editor of the Journal of Borderland Studies, a chief of the African Borderlands Research Network and on the advisory board of the African Governance and Space Project. Dr. Radil is assistant professor of geosciences at the University Air Force Academy. He holds a PhD in geography from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. Dr. Radil is a political geographer and primarily researches the spatial dimensions of political violence in the international system, including civil war, insurgency, and terrorism. As we're starting this podcast, we would like to ask you some questions about the latest security book, which is titled The Geography of Conflict in North and West Africa. Shall we start then with the first question? The question was, what is the benefit of analyzing political violence in Western North Africa across such a large time frame? And what explains this spatial perspective that you've included in the, in the report? So I guess that one of the clear takeaways of the report is that the geography of violence in North, but also in West Africa, is always changing. If we look at uh, the last 25 years, we can see that the location of violence has changed year-to-year -year locations of violence are very dynamic and we have seen that the, the, the main epicenters of violence are very different from what they used to be in the past. So in the 1990s, for example, most of the violence was located along the Gulf of Guinea and, and in countries such as Nigeria and Algeria. But in more recent years, and especially after 2009, violence seems to have shifted to new regions due to the Boko Haram insurgency around Lake Chad, or due to the civil war in Mali, or the conflict in Libya. So because of the changing nature, but also the changing location of violence, it's very important to look at political violence from a regional perspective. 
Yes. Um, everything that Olivier just said, I think, is absolutely spot on. Um, and I'll just identify two additional reasons why taking a temporal perspective for such a long time range is important and incorporating a spatial perspective is important. So our study covers from 1997 to 2019, and that's a really long time frame as such studies go. And it's important to think about that in two ways. The first is because we have such an overall uh, long duration, we are able to chart the evolution of violence across the entire region, which is what Olivier was referring to. The second issue to consider about our time interval is that we frequently make observations across that entire time range. So our analysis looks at events every day, which means that we're able to narrow in on particularly short time ranges if we wish without losing any of the detail in our overall approach. So considering how things changing over time is central to what we're doing in the report, and it helps to show how political violence has ebbed and flowed across the region, as Olivier has mentioned. The spatial perspective is the other side of the coin of time, and it's often overlooked, which is what makes this study so interesting. All politics, violent or not, are about achieving effects in places, in localities, across areas or regions, which means it's all inherently spatial. So episodes of political violence are examples of the state and its competitors vying to control space, to control localities and regions. So space is right at the heart of these politics. So it's only logical that we would seek to explicitly consider it while we try to better understand the issues and outcomes that are involved. If I may add an example, uh, adopting a regional approach to political violence in North and West Africa also allows us to identify large trends that would otherwise be difficult to detect, trends such as transnational movements of extremist groups across the region, or the growing importance of border regions for violent organizations. In the report, for example, we show that 10% of the fatalities recorded since 1997 were located within 10 kilometers of a national boundary. So there's a spatial dimension to political violence, and I believe this is the very first report to have a regional and long-term perspective on this important topic. That is definitely interesting. Thank you very much. Talking about the spatial dimension, what this book introduces then is this new indicator, the spatial conflict dynamics indicator. Can you tell us a little bit more about it and how it's used in the report to measure political violence across space? Yes, there's no doubt that violence is on the increase in North and West Africa, but it is also important to understand whether violent organizations are intensifying their efforts in particular places, or whether they are spreading insecurity to other regions, or even relocating under the pressure of government forces. So the indicator was designed to not just map events, but also understand spatial dynamics and the diffusion or relocation of violence over time. And this is why we developed this indicator along two major lines. We looked at the intensity of violence and we looked at the spatial distribution of violence to understand how it can move from one region to another. Yeah, if I could add to that, um, what we think is exciting about the indicator is that it's both simple and complex simultaneously. 
as Olivier pointed out, we're really measuring two aspects about the geography of violence. We're measuring how often it's occurring in a particular small region or locality. This is what he referred to as intensity. We're also measuring the locations of violence relative to each other within those localities or regions. And then we call that the concentration of violence. And those are two uh, aspects of the geography of violence that we think are important to understand for the reasons that Olivier mentioned. Uh, the complexity of the indicator comes when we compare these two aspects of violence to each other. And so this allowed us to develop a four-part typology that we use in the report and to categorize localities as having high aspects or low aspects on either side of the indicator. And that allows us a rather nuanced tool to do more than just map the locations of violence, but to categorize and classify the areas in which violence is occurring in one fashion or another. If I may add to what Steve just said, the spatial indicator can be used to understand the long-term evolution of conflicts and how regions become increasingly dangerous or affected by political violence. And in many regions of West Africa, for example, we have seen the emergence of new clusters of violence, regions where violence is extremely intense, but also very localized. And surrounding those epicenters of violence, the indicator can also identify a number of new regions where violence is increasing, but it's still diffuse. And we hope that by combining different dimensions of violence, we can anticipate the emergence of new conflicts of violence across the region. My, my third question would be um, a little bit more general. Uh, it would be, what are the characteristics of political violence in West and Northern Africa? And in which way do they differ um, you know, between West and North Africa, but also compared to other, um, other conflicts in other areas? What North and West Africa have in common is that both regions have experienced a very strong increase in political violence in the last 20 years. But there are very important differences between the two regions. And these differences can be seen if we look at different types of events. For example, battles seems to be very important in both regions, but more so in West Africa, where two-thirds of the actual battles can be located. If we look at remote violence, for example, the use of drones or suicide bombers, this has been a more central tactic to the conflicts in North Africa, but we can also see an increasing use of these tactics in West Africa by suicide bombers. And the trends are up for this type of violence since 2010. Attacks on civilians have been a feature of the conflict in North Africa, but it has occurred nearly five times more often in West Africa. And even worse, the use of these tactics has surged in West Africa since 2016. Last year alone, we identified more than 2,000 attacks on civilians, the highest amount on record. And this is a worrying trend. Actually, attacks on civilians now exceeds the number of attacks attributed to battles between the government and armed groups. So as Olivier pointed out, there are some real differences between North Africa and West Africa in terms of the types of violence that we see, including tactics, 
and the targeting of civilians. This is far more frequent now in West Africa than it is in North Africa. And it may be something that moved over time from North Africa to West Africa. But there are other sorts of issues that we could think about. The violence uh, has overall shifted locations within the region, as we've already said. In the late 90s and the early 2000s, widespread violence was largely a problem that was just limited to a few countries in each region. Sierra Leone and Liberia on the one hand, and West Africa, Algeria on the other. But by the year 2009, 2010, 2011, the regional epicenters within each region have changed. It's now focused primarily on Liberia, Libya, Mali, and now Burkina Faso. And so this shows how volatile the locations of violence can be over long periods of time and the tendency for violence to change location within that larger time range. Within those theaters, however, those conflict areas, Mali has been somewhat different than the others, I think. The location of violence within Nigeria and Libya, for example, have been more stable over time since the violence started to emerge. But the Malian conflict has drifted spatially. It's crossed the border with neighboring Burkina Faso. So some of the conflicts have a more stable geography to them than others do. Others seem to be a bit more fluid. I see. Thank you. So the report underlined the fact that military interventions are not sufficient to achieve long-term stability in the region. Could you explain more in depth why? Okay. So the report shows that interventions usually decrease the intensity of violence and they keep violence from becoming dispersed, but they also are very temporary. So the effect of military interventions is often temporary. We've seen that in Mali and Libya and Nigeria. In Mali and Libya, the number of regions that have experienced violence surged as part of the intervention in 2013 and 2011, but then rapidly decreased as the intervention progressed. In the Lake Chad region, the offensive launched by Nigerian forces and the multinational joint task force in 2015 was a turning point in the war against Boko Haram, initially reducing the intensity of violence and limiting it to remote areas. But since then, however, the locations of violence have been more persistent while also increasing in intensity. So I guess the main message of the report is that military interventions have rarely led to long-term stability, and they are usually followed by a resumption in insurgent activities. This suggests that external military interventions should not be the only means for countering an insurgency. Insurgencies in North and West Africa must be addressed through civilian means within the countries in which they develop. And what is needed in, in this region are also political solutions. This means that protecting civilian populations, because failing to do that would weaken the social contract between people and the state, leaving a door open for those who have an alternative and competing political agenda. I think that is a, uh, a very spot-on way to think about why these interventions haven't produced the long-term effects that we would hope that they would. And if you think about it, uh, Olivier is pointing at right at the, the heart of the dynamic about why these interventions have struggled to achieve success. They're always trading short-term escalations and then decreases in violence for a longer-term stability. 
But we couldn't reasonably say that any of the major interventions that we examined in the report have achieved that goal at all. Instead, we see repeated outbreaks of violence in the same places over and over again following these interventions. And the suppression of violence in one region may lead to the expansion of violence by the same parties in another region elsewhere. So the issues are never resolved over the long term through these interventions. At best, these interventions can just give some temporal opportunities for the parties to engage in the kind of civil and political dialogue that Olivier is referring to. But when that doesn't happen, there's no opportunity for these interventions to really produce long-term stability. Thank you, Dr. Vidil. So my next question concerns the distinction that is made in the report between civil wars and internationalized civil wars. In the report, the trends show that there's a steady increase of these so-called internationalized civil wars throughout the years. Can you then please redefine the concept of internationalized civil wars for us? And also, what explains the raise across time? Okay, so we have seen an increase in civil wars in Africa for many reasons. And it's usually a combination of different ingredients that make it very difficult to identify a unique cause to a particular conflict. In this report, we've looked at how different factors would actually be combined to explain the rise of political violence in different countries. And we've looked at uh, government and governance issues, the fact that political elites in African countries uh, have a responsibility in maintaining peace and security. We have also looked at the presence or the absence of natural resources and how people compete for those resources. We've looked at other important factors such as ethnicity or religion that in some cases can also explain why people tend to resort to violence instead of peaceful means. But again, the main point is that uh, political violence is, also, is always explained by particular factors, if you wish. Uh, it's very difficult to identify just one single reason why suddenly a country becomes um, agitated with political violence. So if I could add to that particular um, question, I think you had asked, how do we categorize or classify or, or define an internationalized civil war? Is that correct? Yes. So from the point of view of geography, you could just think about an internationalized civil war as a civil war that's occurring in one country that is drawing in participants from other countries. This could be state actors, uh, multinational organizations like a NATO or a United Nations or an African Union, or it could be armed groups from another country that are uh, crossing the border to participate in the violence in a uh, second country. And this has been a permanent feature of violence in West and North Africa for the last 20 years. And so this is a particular uh, point of concern because these conflicts can become uh, enlarged in terms of the number of participants and more intense in terms of the effects to the people who live in the places that are being contested. So that type of 
um, that type of civil war, that type of insurgency uh, can be particularly problematic for that reason. I see. Thank you very much. You are both working on the next report in this series. Perhaps you could provide some insight into what direction it is taking and what it will focus on. So the next report is looking at networks of violence in the region. We want to understand how violent organizations are connected to each other through alliances, but also through conflicts. So what we want to do is to map the entire conflict environment of the region. And we want to understand how those networks change over time and how they connect different types of organizations, state forces, rebel groups, jihadist organizations, and also their victims. Civilian populations, as we said today, are very much impacted by violence. How can we represent the complex environment in which violent organizations are fighting each other, but also collaborating across the entire region in the last 25 years? So the main objective of this new report will be to produce the first ever network analysis of violent organizations in North and West Africa. I'm just in awe of you. That's a, that's a very elegant way to describe what we're doing. It's fabulous. What Olivier mentioned about the next phase of our work is um, connected to what we've just done because these networks that he's describing are part of the process by which violence moves or is uh, reinforced in a particular place. So understanding these networks is probably key to understanding the geography of violence that we've uncovered in the report that we have been discussing. This is an exciting frontier in trying to make a connection between basic mapping of events and a more systematic understanding of these geographies. Well. Thank you, Dr. Walter. Thank you, Dr. Radil, for your intervention and for answering our numerous questions on the SWAC's latest report, The Geography of Conflict in North and West Africa, which is available on the OECD iLibrary for viewing and download. Thank you. Thank you. Our pleasure.